Good morning. Good morning, junior high. Hey, I have wanted to be up here for a long time so that I could personally thank you as my church for sending me out as a committed missionary. It really means a lot to me as your missionary to be sent out by you. The New Testament pattern has always been the church sends the missionary, loves the missionary, takes care of the missionary, and when they come back, welcome the missionary. And you guys have done that so well to me. It's been unique in my life to have a church like you that have done that. And I know I don't know all of you by name, but as being part of this fellowship, you've taken part in that. And there are very few times that I'm getting on an airplane that I don't think about you and our elders and our staff and the people that are sending me out. And I really do. It's my first flight. And it's something that I do before I get on the plane in Jacksonville while they're calling to board. I think about my church sending me out. As you've obeyed the Lord to send out a missionary and then you've sent me out and I'm getting on the plane, it means a lot. It means a lot to me. And I just wanted to say thank you very much. I also appreciate the opportunity to work with your students here. Um, it's not something I'm doing because it's like a work release program and I'm working something off. I love your students. Middle school, high school, college, I love them. And many times you guys ask me, hey, what's it really like to work with middle school? Well, I thought I'd give you a little example so that you know. First of all, working in middle school is great missionary training. So if you guys are getting ready to go to the mission field, middle school ministry is where it's at. But not too long ago, I was over in the B building and I had my group of sixth grade boys. And I'm sitting there and we're going through the gospel of John and one of them has a question. Now you never know when you get a question what's coming next. But this question was about the gospel of John. And it was a deep one. That's another thing about middle schoolers. Sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, their minds and hearts begin to open up to the deep things of God. That's why it's so exciting to work there. But anyway, one of them asked a question, and it's a good one. And it's followed up almost immediately with another good question. And I'm thinking, this may be the greatest night of my middle school ministry. And then there was a third question, and equally serious, his hand goes up. Mr. Blythe, I got a question. It's like, sure, sure. I couldn't wait to hear what it was. He goes, the box of Lucky Charm cereal, there's a green guy on the front. And I got to know, is he a leprechaun or like a really short Irishman? <laughs> Immediately, the group broke up into two factions, pro-leprechaun, pro-Irishman. And it got out of hand quick. I was out of control. And it was like that verse in Acts where the Bible says that they all gathered together and half was yelling one thing and half was yelling another thing and nobody knew for what reason they had really assembled. And that's sometimes the middle school ministry, but they grow and they grow and I get to take them on a mission trip. I was looking at our MDP troop and I've been on mission trips with all of them. And it is so much fun to see them go around the world and see a lost world in need and be able to share the gospel. And I just love you and appreciate you for letting me be a part of that. As you're opening your Bibles to Matthew 28, there's something that I would like you to know. There's something, some things that we would like you to believe. And as a result from Scripture, there's some things that we would like you to do. So what is it that we want you to know about missions? 
Matthew 28, we're going to look at verses 18 through 20, but what is it that we would like you to know about missions? The first thing that we would like you to know about missions is that the world is in a crisis. They say that there's approximately seven and a half billion people that live on this planet, divided up into 17,000 people groups. A people group is just a culturally distinct community. They have their own language. Maybe they live in a certain part of the world where they're by themselves. They have their own way of doing weddings and funerals and things like that. But they live in a people group. Seven and a half billion people on the planet divided up into 17,500 distinct people groups. And of those people, of those people, 3.2 billion of them are what we call unreached. 3.2 billion people of the seven and a half billion living on the planet are what we call unreached. Now, I didn't say that they were lost. So let's talk about the difference between lost and unreached. Let's talk about lost and unreached. First of all, lost describes everybody, everybody who has never trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The Bible says that we are born into sin. We are sinners because we sin, and we sin because we're sinners. And that because of that sin, we are separated from God. God made us to have a relationship with him, and we are separated from him because of sin. But God sent his only son, Jesus, down to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He loved the people that nobody else loved. He healed the sick. And he took the sin of the world on himself and died on the cross for our sins, paying the price in our place. He was buried, and three days later, God raised him from the dead. And as Matt Collins was up here reading from Scripture, that he offers the free gift of eternal life without cost to anybody who will believe. Anybody that has never put their faith in Christ is lost. But some people in the world, 3.23 billion, are unreached. And unreached doesn't mean that they're just lost. What it means is, unless something changes, they're going to remain lost. They are out of access to the gospel. It means that there's nobody in their community that knows the gospel. It means that there's nobody in their family that knows a Christian. It may mean that they can't even access the scriptures where they live. Some of them, they could walk for days and never find anybody that has ever heard the gospel. We call those people unreached because not only are they lost, but they're out of access to the gospel. And we consider that to be a crisis. We consider it to be a crisis. We consider it to be very important. There's a quick video that I want to show you where a young lady does a great job of explaining and illustrating the difference between loss and unreached. I'd like to go ahead and show that now. If you run in Christian circles, you've probably heard people talk about the lost and the unreached. These are two common terms that Christians use to describe people who aren't followers of Jesus. But where do these terms come from, and what's the difference between the two of them? The term lost comes from a few references in the Bible. According to scripture, all people are born lost. It is a universal symptom of the fall. God created people to be in a right relationship with him. 
sin entered the world through Adam and Eve and created a separation between man and God. Jesus said he came to seek and save that which was lost. He came like a beacon, offering to rescue anyone who will admit that they are lost and that he is the way to be found. Those who have not yet received his offer are referred to as lost people. Now the word unreached refers to lost people who will most likely never have the chance to hear that there is a way to be found. People groups are considered unreached when less than 2% of their population is following Jesus. They often have no access to the gospel in their culture or language, which means that they will never encounter the gospel unless something about their environment changes. There are still large numbers of people who have never heard, people who live far away and are hard to reach, or people who are born into societies where the message of Jesus is not welcome. Followers of Jesus are still working hard to tell everyone that they can be found. But out of all the missionaries who are going and telling, less than 10% of them ever make it to the unreached people of the world. So what is the difference between being lost and being unreached? Well, in a word, access. Everyone who hasn't trusted in Jesus is lost, but not every lost person is unreached. Many lost people can pick up a Bible, walk into a church, ask a friend, search the internet, or even simply wrestle with the things that they've heard about Jesus. But unreached people either haven't heard anything about Jesus or don't have the access to material or people who could help answer their questions. It is a big task to bring the message of the gospel to the hardest to reach places. But as the Apostle Paul says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they do not believe? And how will they believe if they haven't heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching? And how will they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. She always does a better job explaining it than I do. All people without Christ are equally lost, but not all are equally needy. There are lost people in America. There's lost people in Jacksonville. There are lost people within a mile of this campus, maybe even in this room. But there's nobody in America that is unreached. We have churches all over. We have ministries. We have a church like our church in a lot of places in the country where we are actively trying to get the gospel to all the peoples around us. Every Bible that's in a written language can be accessed, printed, and bought in the United States. There's nobody living in the United States of America that's unreached. Now, truly, there are people that have never heard the gospel. They're lost. But when we talk about unreached, what we're talking about are people that have not ever heard the gospel and unless something changes, they won't. If we could, and to give you an idea of how big that is, if we could fill the Jaguar Stadium once a day, every day, with unreached peoples, we could solve the transportation problem and the language problem and the concession stand problem, and we could fill it up once a day, every day, until we had shared the gospel with everybody in an unreached people group. It would take more than 130 years. That's a lot of people. Not only that, but there are 
in the world of those 7,500 unreached people groups, there's 3,100 of those where not only are they unreached and not only are they out of access of the gospel, but we don't believe there's anybody in that group that both speaks their language and knows the gospel. That means if we had 3,100 pallets of money that we could send to that part of the world to get the gospel into their language, to get the gospel to them, to plant churches, there's no one to give it to. We consider that to be a crisis. For, for most of them, it would take us 300 years just to say everybody's name. And when I was first as a missionary, I was sent to these mountains way down in the southern parts of the Philippines. And as we went down there, I mean, we went a long way. We flew and then we drove on Jeeps and then we were hiking. And we were hiking so far that we, were, we went up through the clouds and it was foggy where we were in the mountains. And we met some people coming down and the people coming down out of the mountain started, hey, we don't give visitors much. Where are you from? Where are you going? What are you doing? And so we talked to them and gave them a greeting. And, and I said, hey, to one of the pastors, ask them if they know Jesus. And the lady that he asked said, no, is, is that somebody traveling with you? Is that, is that somebody with you that we can meet? That was my first time seeing that the world is full of unreached people. Well, what's God's heart on that? What's God's heart on that? What do we want to believe from scripture? In other words, what do the scriptures say that we really want you to believe? Well, let's go to Matthew 28. You've got your Bibles open to it. And what we want you to see is from these three verses that we are commanded to go. We are commanded to go to the world. And this is what we call the Great Commission. And I'm going to read the verses to you and talk a little bit about that. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We are commanded to go. This is called the Great Commission, and we call it the Great Commission because the one who gave it is great, the job is great. And it's called a commission because it's a command to go. We have a mandate from the Lord to take the gospel to all the nations. The language of that verse is an imperative. We need to go. We need to go. We need to go. And the disciples who heard this, we know that they believed it was a command because that's what they did. When you read the book of Acts and when you look at church history, they took this and they went. We believe that we are commanded to go. Um, our ministry was at a conference about two years ago, and one of the speakers said that when it comes to the Great Commission, more than 50% of the people that they surveyed, evangelicals in churches like this one, said they didn't know what the Great Commission was, or, or they'd never heard of it, or they're not exactly sure what it means for them. So it's possible that you might be new here or you just want to review. So let's very carefully go over it. The Great Commission is the command of the Lord for the time that we are on this earth to get the gospel to the nations. What is it we want you to believe about the crisis of the unreached? That God's heart and God's solution is get the gospel to them actively, proactively, going and sending. The other thing that we want you to believe that scripture says 
is that God delights to save the lost. He delights to save the lost. There's nobody that's too lost. Sometimes we look at the world around us and we think, hey, there's some places in the world where they don't want this and they don't want to be saved. Well, God delights to save the lost and there's nobody that is too lost. And Paul says in Romans 1:16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. One time I was sent down to the southern part of the Philippines and we were on an island and we were showing the Jesus film and preaching the gospel. And while I was sharing the gospel, there was a man in the crowd. And as I was talking about the power of sin and the penalty of sin, he was standing in the crowd with his head down. And you could see the burden on his shoulders as he just put his head down and shook it. And every time I mentioned something about sin, he just shook his head slowly as he didn't, wouldn't even look up. He was in despair and he had no hope. But when I started telling him how Jesus took that sin on himself and died in his place, he looked up and he had some hope. And as I was going through the gospel and how it's the free gift of God to everyone who believes, and I was telling him, in a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you want to trust Jesus as your Savior, I'm going to have you come forward. And, and in the middle of that, here he was, right in my face. I mean, zero airspace between us. And I wasn't finished, so as I moved to the left, he moved with me. And as I moved to the right, he moved with me. And finally, I put my arm around him and put him right here. And I kept inviting the people from his village. And as I was inviting, he's got his other arm like this, inviting people. You, I know you need to be saved. I, we know you. And, and he was, the gospel is the power of God to salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also a sinner like that. When I was a new missionary in Brazil, still in language school, they told us that during the season of Carnival, we're going to the city of Salvador and we're going to share the gospel on the streets. And the Brazilian churches would go up there and they would preach the gospel on the street corners during Carnival. Now, if you don't know what Carnival is, it's like the parent to Mardi Gras. And it makes Mardi Gras look like a Boy Scout cookout. And it was a shock to me. And dusk till dawn, it was wild. And they tried to prepare us for it. We, we know, we know it's going to be. No, 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 you don't understand. It's going to be wild. We get it. No, you don't, but you'll learn. And then they also warned us, hey, there's cults up there. And there's one cult where, and you'll recognize them. They have beads around their neck that they've made. And they put them on there. Whenever they pledge themselves to this cult, they put these beads on there. And the demons live in these beads. And they'll never take them off. And if they ever take them off, it releases the demons in their life. Something else you should know about them. If they ever see someone preaching the gospel, it's their job to knock one of them out. So just be aware. So we went up there and I was with my buddy James and he could have been a comedian in another life. He's standing up there one night preaching and a knife fight breaks out in the crowd like right where you two are. And they start fighting and he doesn't miss a beat. He was talking about sin. He goes, yeah, and they're fighting with knives. That's a sin. And they're trying to kill each other because yet murder's a sin. They probably hate each other. That's a sin. And he's going through that. But one night, a couple nights after that, he's preaching the gospel and one of these guys is in the crowd and you can tell who they are because of the way they dress, the demon beads. And he's standing there, big muscles. He could be on the offensive line of any football team on a Sunday morning. And he's standing there, and I thought, man, this guy, my buddy's dead. I'm going to need a new friend. And he is thinking, I'm dead. And if it's going to be my last message, it's going to be a good one because this guy will probably break my jaw. 
and he is preaching. And when he gave the invitation for this guy to come forward and get saved, this guy came forward. And he reached up and he grabbed that necklace and pulled it straight off and threw it on the ground and said, I need Jesus. The gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the cultist. One time, Bob took me on a trip to a communist country and we went there with two missions. We were bringing in some Bibles to the persecuted church and then we were also going to try to establish a ministry. Mission number one went wonderfully. We delivered the Bibles, whole nother story. But the second mission, we were a little couple days into it, trying to establish a ministry there to see what we could do. And the military came to see us, the police, and they arrested us and took us downtown. And if it wasn't happening to me, it'd be just like a movie. It'd be hilarious because the walls were concrete, bright light in the face, military officers, guns, and them interrogating us and telling us, you're going to have to sign confessions. And we just kept sharing the gospel with them. Hey, we're just, we're trying to make friends. We're, we're trying to show you the greatest thing that's ever happened to us. And finally, after about three hours, they agreed with us that we weren't a threat. And then they also agreed with us, we should probably be on the next plane out. And they said, that's in two days. So you're going to go back to your hotel and we're sending one of our friends to stay with you. He'll be your tour guide and you're not to leave without him. And we got back to the hotel. That guy was there. And again, if it wasn't happening to me, it'd be kind of funny because it was just like a movie. He's standing there in a Western style suit with a smarmy, condescending grin. Welcome to our country. I will be your tour guide for the remaining time. You will not leave without me. You will not call anybody on the phone. You will. And in the middle of it, Bob interrupts him and says, we're hungry. We would like you to eat dinner with us in the restaurant here. And he says, the people of our country are not paying for your meal. But no, no, no. We're paying for your meal, but we don't know what food to order. And you live here. You can get us the good food. We'll pay for your meal. You order for us and we'll talk. So we went to the table. He liked that. And they brought out coffee and tea. And as they were preparing the food, Bob leans forward and says, I'd like to tell you why we're really here. Now, if you want to get the attention of the communist secret police, you tell them, I'd like to tell you why we're really here. He leans forward. Yes, I'm listening. What is it? And Bob started at the beginning, how God had made us to have a relationship with him. And he went all the way through the progress of redemption through the Bible and how Jesus died on the cross for our sins and his. And he listened to the whole thing. And over the next two days, everywhere we went, we spoke the gospel to him. And we noticed that when we were together, he would just listen and not respond. But when we were separate, he would ask questions. Matt, tell me again how you know Jesus died on the cross for you. Tell me what he did in your life. Could he forgive someone like me? And then one day I came down and he stood up and he gave me a hug and he said, Matt, brother, I've asked Jesus to be my savior. And at that point, Bob looked over me and goes, Matt, go get it. I knew what he meant. I didn't want to go get it because I knew what it was. Well, see, when they arrested us, they tossed our room pretty good, confiscated all kinds of things, and they thought they confiscated all of the Bibles. But the communist secret police of this country had never worked with middle schoolers. And they didn't know that there were some places you could hide things up to and including a middle schooler. 
that nobody could find. So I went up there, and I won't tell you where, where I hid it because they're always listening. But I went up there, and I got it and stuck it under my shirt, the Bible. And I brought it home. I brought it down, and I brought it over to the guy. And as I showed it to him, he reached his arm out real slick and grabbed it and put it up under his jacket. He goes, you know, this is why you were arrested in the first place. We know, but the risk is worth it. And he said, I cannot wait to get home and share this with my wife. I'll see you in heaven. The gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also communist secret police. One time we were showing a a Jesus film and planting churches in the mountains. And as I was given the invitation, this little old lady came forward and she gave me a hug and had a toothless smile. She was so sweet. And she trusted Jesus as her savior. Well, the next day was when we were doing, during the daytime, we would do the follow-up and the baptisms and introduce them to their new pastor. And at night, we would show the Jesus film. So we went to her house the next morning and she gave us another toothless smile and told us the story that she was the village witch. Just like her mom, just like her grandmom. And when she was little and she started following this dark path, that the demons came into her life and she told us that she had never slept a single night in peace since she started following the, the dark arts there. And she said, but last night when I asked Jesus to save me, I came back here and I slept the whole night in peace. The gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and even the witch. So what do we want you to do? What does the Bible say that we are to do about this? Well, Paul gives some great words on it. And that's what we want to do. We want to ask these big questions and go to the only place with the answers. And that's the Bible. And so Paul says in Romans 10, 13, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. What is it that we want you to do? We want you to go. We want you to go. There are places in the world that will never be reached unless somebody goes. I would love to talk to my youth friends for a minute. If you're a student, if you are looking for a way to invest your life in something that will far outlive the number of days you live on this planet, throw your life into the adventure of getting the gospel to people that have never heard it. What an adventure that would be One of my favorite people in the world and in the room is one of the college students that was up here for MDP. And Shelby Wright, soon to be Shelby Blythe, said, all I want out of life is an adventure to live for the gospel's sake. That's the type of life motto that would make it to where you never waste your life. If you're in here and you're mid-career, There are doors in the world that are shut to me that are open to you. If you would take your career and your family and make that sacrifice and go to one of those parts of the world and plant it there, they would welcome you with open arms because of what you know and what you can do in your character 
And while you're there, you could be a light in a dark place that hasn't had a light in a thousand years. What a great gift that could be. Another exciting thing that we are seeing in the world these days are people that hit their retirement years. And for an entire lifetime in America, they've been poured into from the churches and the studies and the podcasts and the messages. And they've got this full life and they're going to take their retirement and they're going to move to a part of the world that doesn't have the gospel and plant their life there. And pour out what has been poured in into the world and the churches. Many of the pastors in the unreached parts of the world, part of that 2% of an unreached people group, most of those pastors in, in some of those high areas, they haven't had any Bible school. They've trusted Christ and they're trying to serve him. Imagine what you could do with your life. And your retirement dollars will go a lot further. It's true. What else do we want you to do? We want you to send. There's no difference in the value between someone who goes and someone who sends. That's like asking yourself, what's more important in my car, my engine or my brakes? What's more important in the airplane, the pilot or the guy fueling it? What's more important, the goer and the sender? Paul says, how are they going to believe unless they hear? And how are they, gonna, how are they ever going to hear unless someone preaches? And how are they going to preach unless they are sent? Missionaries need to be sent or they can't go. It's a team. There's not a value structure where, hey, the goer is so important. Eh, we need some senders too. No, it is, it is a family. It's a team. And we need senders. And that's one of the things I love about CFC is we have taken the words of Scripture and we have put it together to action and we've created something called sending teams. And here, sending teams are a group of church people that have gathered around and coalesced into a family unit around the missionary and have said, you're going and we're gonna send. Do you need prayer? Every missionary needs prayer. We're gonna pray. Do you need communication? Every missionary wants to know that they're communicated with. We're gonna communicate. Hey, do you need love? we are going to love you. Do you need financial support? We're going to invest our treasure into you. Most missionaries cannot support themselves in the jungles where they live. And so if the people of God are investing in like the New Testament pattern, they can go and do what they're doing. But without senders, there can't be any goers. And so in the sending team here in CFC, that's one of the things that we do. We have sending teams. And you might be wondering, hey, that sending team sounds pretty good. I'd like to know a little bit more about that. Well, I'm so glad you asked because tonight at 5.30, we are having a sending team open house where all around the campus, what we're doing is we're dividing up and we're getting around missionaries. And the front part of this, if you got one, awesome. If not, we have stacks of them out there. On the front part, you'll see the type of ministry and the missionaries' names and faces. And on the back, there's a map of campus of where their open house is going to be tonight at 5.30. And it's set up to where you can go and see several of them. Can you imagine how awesome it would be to go to a sending team and to throw yourself into it with all of the commitment of the missionary that's already gone and say, I'm going to help, I'm going to help, I'm going to help. Some of these missionaries, what you can do is you can extend their term. Imagine the value of your life as a sender if you're able to help a missionary extend their term, one term, 
two terms, three terms, a lifetime. How awesome would that be? Please consider going to that tonight and throwing in all that you are into ascending team. A long time ago, Bob sent me to a tribe way up in the mountains in the northern part of the Philippines. They were on a series of volcanoes and the tribe was kind of spread out in different communities. And I went to there one night and we were showing the Jesus film. And, but before we got started, they had to cook us some food, which was wonderful. And it was a metal case that they put chicken and fruits and vegetables and on a chain, they lowered it into a thermal vent on the side of that volcano and cooked it. And volcanic chicken's pretty good. When you can scrape all the ash off of it, it's actually pretty good. And so we shared the gospel and there were people say, but we were sure we hadn't reached the entire area yet. And so one of my friends, Charles, who's sitting here today, he sent... He was sent back with another team. Now, this tribe that's living up there, they told us that they used to be a headhunting tribe. So Charles went back with these teams and he sent the teams out at night. And one night, a couple of the teams didn't come back. And it's midnight and they're not back. And it's 1 a.m. and they're not back. And 2 a.m. and they're not back. And finally, around 4 or 5, they get back with a wild story. Now, I was, if I was there, I would have been thinking, team's not back, headhunting tribe, do we go look or do we just go, you know? But Charles stayed there and he ended up telling him, hey, what happened? They got back and they said, after we got finished sharing the gospel, almost the entire village got saved. And the chief said, you can't leave. We've just become part of the family of God. We have eternal life. We're gonna party. And they started cooking food and killing chickens and doing all kinds of stuff. Uh, killing chickens for food, not like a ritual, but killing chickens and getting their food ready. And they're, they're all getting it ready and they're partying all night and dancing, which was funny because some of the volunteers were Baptists. And, you know, how they put that in the newsletter, I don't know. But they were dancing and celebrating that God had saved this tribe. And the tribe was so happy. You know, the Bible says in Revelation that there will be many times in heaven where every tribe and tongue and nation will be around the throne praising God for what he has done. And what I would like to leave you with is there are many places in the world that have not yet received their invitation to that party. We need to go. And we need to send. Bill.